Welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster. Had a little bit of a festive season break. Ron, we're back. We're ready to go. And it's that time of year. If you look at the calendar, it's RSP season again. And the question always arises at this time of year, should I do it? What's the best strategy going forward? Do you have any advice there? Well, I think it's important for most people is to understand the dates and the amounts of, of what you're doing and so I think we'll start with that and then we'll get into the current investment climate and uh, of course in the U.S. we have uh, a Biden pres presidency and it's really a game changer because for the next two years he's going to have control of the House, the Senate and obviously they have control of the White House so when you have control of over all three of those institutions it means passing uh, laws that support your agenda, it's far easier to do that. And of course, because it's far easier to do that, it means that more of the liberal democratic agenda is going to be passed than if they just had uh, control of the House and the White House, not the Senate, then they'd have to haggle and go sort of halfway. So, there's a lot of, of things that have happened, and that's one reason why we've held back with our strategy is we wanted to see how the dust settled on our big neighbor to the house. But important dates and amounts to remember. The first is that the last day to make RSP contributions that you can deduct against your 2020 income is March uh, 1st of this year. And if you are turning 71 this year, that's a very important year for you to remember because this is the year where you're going to have to either convert your RSP into a registered retirement income fund, uh, you're going to have to buy an annuity with the proceeds, or the worst option for most people is to withdraw all the money out of the plan. And of course, if you do that, you're going to have to pay tax on the entire lump sum. And for many people, that puts them in a much, much higher tax bracket. A prohibitive it's, tax bracket, I would think, especially if you very, have any amount of money in there, yeah? Exactly. And so the maximum contribution for 2020, now you might not be able to contribute the maximum, but it has gone up. It's $27,230, and if you're wondering what your contribution limit uh, is or where it can be found, uh, take a look at your latest notice of assessment from the Canada Revenue Agency, and if you can't find it, you can either call your accountant, that's probably the best, quickest way to get it, or uh, just set up an account online with the CRA. You're going to have to provide your social insurance number and a few other things, so pull those documents out and go online. That way you can get online anytime and see what your account looks like and uh, what your contributions are, what's owing, those kind of things. If you're planning for the year ahead, the contribution limit for 2021 is up literally $500, so it's 27830 So if you're already one year ahead, that's the new number for the rest of the year. If you're planning on making a, a, a contribution to your tax-free savings account, and we're not specifically talking about that today, but I wanted to throw that in. Uh, the contribution limit this year is $6,000. You have to be 18 to be eligible to open an RSP. Or a TFSA. But if you've never contributed to one over the years, the total contribution room available in 2021 for someone who's never contributed and has been eligible for the TFSA since its 
introduction in 2009, it's 75500 So you can take 75500 for it, and you can make a lump sum contribution to your tax-free savings account, and that money grows tax-free for as long as you're alive. Again, that's just somebody who has never set up an account but is eligible to do so, just to be clear there. Yeah. Right, yeah. And a lot of people, they looked at this, and they turned up their nose and at it, or they said, look, I don't have enough money right now to contribute to an RSP and a TFSA, and I'm in a high tax bracket right now, so RSP makes more sense. But over the years, they've never contributed, and that amount has added up. So often you'll get a lump sum, you know, if you've, if you've sold your house or if you've left your place of employment and uh, you've, you've ended up getting a settlement or, or maybe you've just come through a, a divorce or, or you've sold your business and you have a large lump sum of cash. Well, you have a large lump sum of cash. Obviously, the two places at the start is, one, uh, catch up on your uh, RSP contributions that have been carried forward. And the second place is to look at your tax-free savings account, because if you never contributed one, all of a sudden you've got $75,500 worth of room that you can tuck money in there, and that money uh, will grow tax-free for as long as you live. Okay, so let's, let's go back to the beginning here before we get too much further. And, and again, RSPs aren't necessarily for everybody, but... You know, my rule of thumb was I always looked at it, and we've talked about this in the past. I thought to myself, well, I'm going to get a tax deduction, and I'm saving for my future. That was my fundamental reasoning for getting into one. Is that what we should use going forward? Well, I think that uh, that is a very good segue into our next show. Okay. And so if you're a listener to this series, what we're going to be talking about on our next week's show is to RSP or not. And there's some times where it's really a good idea to take advantage of that tax-free compounding where 100 cents on the dollar continues to grow for 20 or 30 years and uh, before you have to pay tax on it. And there's some times where, frankly, other options make more sense. So if you're really interested on uh, or have questions on, you know, should you even be making an RSP? Well, that's the show that we're, that's all we're going to talk about. We're going to be devoting uh, the entire show to there's seven reasons that I've been able to find where it might not be in your best interest, especially tax-wise, to make a car contribution to your RSP this year. Okay, so that's next episode. Let's get back to where we were now. I might have taken us down the wrong path there. But current investment climate and opportunities. Now, you talked about the change in the U.S. administration, but let's put a little asterisk here. Boy, there's a lot of dust to settle down there right now. Oh, there, there certainly is. But one thing we know for sure is that uh, the Democrats have uh, taken the two Senate uh, seats in Georgia, and that puts the... Republicans and the Democrats at a 50-50 tie in the Senate. But the vice and president gets to break the tie, correct? Exactly. And so uh, Kamala Harris, and because uh, she's <clears throat> vice president, she gets to vote. And obviously you know that she's going to vote for any legislation that uh, is brought forward by the Democrats. So there's a tiebreaker there. The president has veto power. And a Democrat probably not going to veto any bills that are brought to him by a Democratic-controlled House and Senate. Also, you have the House, which uh, the Republicans surprised everybody 
and lowered the amount of uh, seats that the Democrats have as a majority in the House in this election, but they still have the majority. So when you have the majority in the House, you have the majority in the Senate, and you have the uh, veto power in the White House, and they all belong to the same party, the only way that legislation can be slowed up is usually it has to go to court. And if it goes to court, frankly, it can take uh, a long time before the dust gets settled. But that is an extreme case. And so generally, uh, when you've got a Senate and a House and a White House, all of the same party, you know for the next two years before they have the next rounds of, of elections for Senate and House that you're going to see uh, the agenda of the winning party is pretty much going to predominate. So you have a, th a line of thought here that a Biden presidency is, is positive for a lot of areas. And, and the first one that jumps out is renewable energy, their green plan, uh, gold, you know, printing money. We've talked about this. They're printing money at a furious rate, and that eventually has to come to an end run. Yes. And so, you know, with there, there's two uh, schools of thought here. And, and here again, I don't want to spend most of my time promoting future shows, but in the next month or two, we're going to have a series on inflation, deflation, and stagflation. What causes each and what investments perform the best in each one of those scenarios, why those scenarios happen, and if you go through stagflation, inflation, or deflation, not only what you want to buy, but what you want to avoid. Because half the investment battle is not on what you own, but what you don't own. And I do feel that, with, as you said, with the printing of money, uh, eventually this will lead to higher inflation and thus a lower U.S. dollar. And one of the ways to play that is owning gold. And uh, we talked before the show, uh, investors that are looking for uh, owning gold, obviously you can go down to a coin shop, you can go down to the bank, uh, there's places online that sell gold. If you just want pure gold bullion, iShares, for example, has a bullion fund, and it's in Canadian dollars, and it hedges against currency risk. So if the U.S. dollar goes down, uh, it's hedged. And the symbol is G is in George. C is in Charlie, L is in Lima, and it trades on Toronto. So it's a way to control um, inflation and investment. That, well, it doesn't control inflation, but it reacts positively to inflation. So it's a good idea uh, to own something like this. And uh, for disclosure's sake, I own GCL myself. And uh, it's something that I plan to add on to any time there's a bit of weakness. And with gold, especially right now, Gord, you know, you've seen the crazy moves that we've seen in Bitcoin. Yep. And Bitcoin was up to $40,000 an ounce, or an ounce a coin here, uh, last week, and it lost $8,000 in one day. And the problem is nobody really knows what Bitcoin is worth. I mean, you have... Yeah, what backs it up, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, what does back it up? It, and the, the question is, at least with a currency, you've got taxing power backing it up. With this, who knows? I mean, it could be anybody that tells me that it's worth a particular amount. I just scratch my head 
and say, well, you might be right. But right now, a lot of money that has historically gone into gold has gone into Bitcoin because it's moved a lot faster. But Bitcoin is way more volatile than gold. So if you are conservative, which is what I am, um, I think that uh, gold uh, for a conservative investor makes more sense because it's considerably more conservative. And maybe the healthcare sector? I know you're big on health care, too. I mean, that one going forward, you know, the Democrats are liable to try to put some kind of a health care plan into place again, as they did under Obama. So health care could burgeon, right? Yeah, health care could really, uh, really burgeon. And I think that we're just at a start. <clears throat> and we're going to see health care really take off because most of the advanced countries what they've said they're going to do is fund not only vaccines, but all kinds of other drugs be distributed in third world countries. And of course, that is going to be just a huge payday for the pharmaceutical and healthcare industry. So I think <clears throat> that um, in spite of the risk that the Democrats might try to control health care costs um, that, you know, something like the uh, iShares Global Healthcare um, ETF, which is IXJ, or something that I've owned for a long time, Johnson & Johnson, these are examples of broad-based exposure. So you don't have narrow exposure to one drug or one product, which I think can be dangerous but it gives you broad exposure to that market. And I think healthcare is an opportune time to get in because the focus is so high and the wallets have really been opened up by countries where they've prioritized healthcare, drug delivery, hospitals, all the rest of it, supplies, which have been neglected for years. And so this isn't just a short-term uh, wind-at-the-back type of strategy. This is a long-term growth strategy, and I think that every investor wants to have some exposure there. And if we go into 2020 and have some volatility, and we want to talk about that, uh, healthcare is certainly an area you want to look. The ones you want to avoid under a Biden presidency? Well, I don't know that you want to get too deeply into fossil fuels right now. Well, certainly fossil fuels, pipelines, and uh, the other area which I think nobody's thinking about is corporate profits. Uh, the Democrats, to a name, and I haven't heard one Democrat who's willing to stand up against that, to a name have said that they plan to raise taxes. And when they say that they plan to tax the rich, that's shorthand saying they're going to tax everyone. And so when corporate profits go up, typically earnings go down, and it's a tougher market for stocks because when earnings go down, often we see stock price volatility as well. So be careful going forward, and especially keep a keen eye on what's happening in the U.S. White House. Okay, let's talk about interest rates. They, they really haven't moved, you know, maybe a quarter of a point up or down, and there's been no dramatic rise for quite some time now, Ron. Well, 
we haven't seen inflation. And the reason we haven't seen inflation is not because governments haven't tried to create inflation by printing money. But globalization has pushed the cost down on virtually everything because it now goes to the lowest cost producer of the product. And of course, with globalized buying and infrastructure in place, something can be made in Indonesia and end up on your shelves literally three or four weeks later. So the global supply chain has kept things down. But these countries are seeing inflation as well because they're printing money. So, you know, it could be six months. It could be a year. I hate to pin a date on it. But eventually, all this money printing is going to lead to higher interest rates. And, of course, you want to wait till that's happening. I don't think you want to lock in now, Gorda. But I think the important thing is to keep your money short term. Uh, one-year guaranteed investment certificate, which is certainly guaranteed by the government of Canada, and some of the provincial credit unions. I mean, there's credit unions in Alberta, which are backed 100% by the good faith of the Alberta government. Uh, you can buy these with high quality and good guarantees. And the yields on them, frankly, are higher than virtually anything that you can get in the corporate bond market right now. And because of that, you're looking at literally getting the same yields or better that a corporate bond has, but you've got a much, much higher uh, credit rating behind it. So look at GICs. Right now, the corporate bond market is just a tough place to be. Let's talk about the pandemic. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, spending pick up, the market gets stimulated. Well, right now, you know, it, uh, I hate to make predictions because predictions are generally wrong, but I would issue a cautionary note to investors that are piling into markets right now, Gord, because like we said uh, earlier in the show, is that markets are at extremes. And if you look at real estate, if you look at many sectors of the stock market, they're trading in bubble territory. Um, you have investors who are doing things through discount brokerage firms with uh, the CERB money and, and things like that in Canada. In the U.S., they're using the money, they're, they're the pandemic money they're receiving from the government. And many of them have are treating the stock market like it's a gambling casino. They're in and out five, ten times a day. And, of course, they know nothing about what they're doing. And historically, any time we've seen the little guy start furiously trading in the market and telling you they've quit their job and become a day trader. That's a bad sign. <laughs> that, boy, that is an understatement that it's a bad sign, Gord. So yeah. you, want to be, you want to be really careful right now. But if this pandemic winds up and falls, consumer spending uh, should pick up, which is good. Uh, one of the easiest ways to play an uptick in consumer spending is, frankly, just buy some of the Canadian banks. You know, they're just a very, very good way uh, to get exposure to any consumer spending. I mean, if you buy, if you go traveling somewhere, uh, you're going to use your credit card. If you go to the store, you're probably going to pay with things with your credit card. So the more borrowing, the more money that gets put to work, the better the banks do. Okay, final note for this episode, Ron, and, and you talked about where the contribution deadline is March 1st of this year. Make the contribution if that's your plan, but you don't necessarily have to jump in and invest it right away, right? 
No. You know, when you look at RSP season, you see a tremendous amount of money pouring in to uh, registered plants. And the reason for that is for most Canadians, the big financial event that takes place every year is their RSP contribution. So if they have any money beyond that, well, that's fine. But everybody, if they have any resources at all, is going to make an RSP contribution. So you have a lot of money flooding into the market. And of course, people are impatient. They want to put that money to work right away. Well, you don't have to put it to work right away. Typically, when I make an RSP contribution, historically, I've always waited till March or April um, to actually put the money to work. And often I find that I get much better bargains because once the markets cool off, they tend to pull back a bit. And that's typically a time where I can invest in things that aren't as superheated and I get them at better prices. Okay, so there you go, a sort of a rudimentary introduction to RSPs. Now, the next episode, as Ron uh, very carefully steered us down that road, and I erroneously tried to take us down another path, to RSP or not? That's the question we're going to answer next week. And a couple of things here. I apologize for the frog in my throat today. Uh, and also, Ron, uh, it'll be nice when we can get together under the same roof again. We had an opportunity to do that in the fall, but it doesn't come up very often because of the pandemic. So let's look forward to brighter days when we can be in the same room and thinking along the same lines and making eye contact. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I always enjoy meeting afterwards when we can have uh, share a nice bottle of wine and talk about future shows. So Absolutely. Look forward to it. That's usually the best part. <laughs> yeah, very good part. All right. We're back again next week with another edition of Making Money. Remember, you can find all our episodes they're cataloged at letsmakemoney.ca, and you can also join us on cfcw.com, their website, which also hosts the show Making Money, and listen for Ron's Money Minutes twice daily on CFCW Radio. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening.